0: I'll show
1: that nobody listening ain't
0: nobody listening ain't nobody listening and you're listening to ain't nobody listening my name is Abdullah Maawali and we're back with uh, someone that you may know for over a decade now uh, actually Way more than that Hasn't it been?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's been about Maybe 12 years
0: Yeah We got Nabil Al-Busa'idi Also known as Nabs Al-Busa'idi um, Let's start with What people know the most about you If you don't mind me Yeah, asking. sure um, Which is Walking the magnetic north pole Yeah First of all what is the magnetic north pole?
1: Okay, yeah. So, the magnetic north pole. So, you know, if you get a, com- a compass
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the needle points north. Yeah. So, the where the needle po- points is the magnetic north pole. But so,
0: if you're on the magnetic north pole, what happens to the uh, compass?
1: Yeah, the compass well, doesn't work. As you get closer and closer to the north pole, mm-hmm. um, so it's very hard to describe, but the magnetic field... As it reaches, as it goes around the Earth, as it converges onto the North Pole, the needle follows those lines of flux. Right. So as you get closer and closer to the North Pole, it starts dipping downwards. It's not pointing just north, it's pointing downwards because that's where the lines of flux are going. And as you get closer and closer, it starts to spin because it can't decide which direction you are. Have you witnessed that yourself? No, we didn't. (laughs) We didn't take a. We didn't take um, just to see how it spins. Yeah, we uh, at uh, where we started from, we could see the uh, Mm. the needle doing this, you know. Right. But we didn't take it with us because it would be extra weight for nothing.
0: So, for how long have you been an adventurer? I mean, what was your first adventure that put you in this path?
1: Hmm. Um. I think probably my first adventure was (laughs) when I was about five. Oh. I So I went to school in England, mm. and every day there was a lady who would come. She would pick me and my sister up and take us from school to home. Mm. And it was the same journey. It wasn't that long, but for a five-year-old, it was... Probably a long, long, long journey. Probably, anyway, yeah. I just decided that it was very boring mm. to wait for this lady and I could do it on my own. I didn't need her help. I knew how to get there, I knew the direction. I knew that when I got to the roads, I had to wait. Mm-hmm. And you know this is as a five-year-old so this is this is major uh, how do you even remember this uh, because uh yeah, well <laughs> because uh, even when I get to the roads it was easy no know- to know when to cross the road because all the adults crossed the road so mm. it wasn't doing anything spectacular I wasn't inventing anything I was just <laughs> following everyone anyway I got home about two hours later this woman came to the house crying said so she couldn't find me she'd lost me and my parents were like he- he's been here for two hours playing with on his so the reason I remember is I got a good... S- That's the genesis. I got a good spanking. <laughs> <laughs> and I was told no, never to do it again. Of course, the next day, <laughs> I had a quick look around. I couldn't see her. I started to walk off. I got about 10 meters before she found me and <laughs> grabbed me by the arm and screamed at me. And then I never did it again.
0: Do you really think like this incident influenced some of your decisions moving forward as an adult?
1: Um... I don't know I just I just remember it as the first real big adventure cuz the whole way I was like it's not a big deal we walk this every day I can do it but as a 5 year old I was like this is a big thing you know <laughs> so I, I do I I, remember, I always think of that as my first real big adventure yeah and uh, and what was the first adventure that required money to go on
0: I guess that's a good well, way to hold start hold on
1: just bef- <laughs> before yeah, if you imagine if you have a 5 year old yeah can you imagine your five-year-old walking from school all the way home? No.
0: Right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, right. <laughs> no. And
1: I was like, I can do this. This is not a big deal. I can do th- I'm five, but I can do this. Did your family
0: get an inclination that this kid might be trouble?
1: <laughs> you know, funnily enough, my mother always says, up until I was about, I think, uh, 11 or something, I was never any trouble. Except for going on adventures. That one time. That one time. But before that, after, uh, apart from that, I never did anything. Then what happened at 11? Uh, I went to boarding school. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> then after that,
0: I was... <laughs> then I was in boarding school, so... Yeah, so this boarding school, was it here in Armand? No, 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 was It was in, the, in England. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, right? Uh, speaking to you, you have a British accent, yeah. um, a lot of British mannerisms. Can you t- take me to your background and how you're so uh, you're, you're Armani and British at the same time
1: uh, well my parents met in England and uh, I mean they were from Zanzibar but they moved to London they met in England they got married in England I was born in England mm. I grew up in England your whole so, life
0: yeah and right now where do you live?
1: Uh, now I live
0: in in Dunes. <laughs> in Dunes. In Bosha. We shouldn't be telling people that publicly. But if you're a fan, you know where to find him. In fact, actually, it's not Dunes, it's Rimal, right? Yeah. Because we... Oh, nice. I gave the code name. <laughs> <Now> My bad.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you know exactly where to find him. You're welcome. And we, we, I bumped into you once randomly a couple of years ago. You don't remember this and that's okay because I'm the I'm the one who is a fan of you. And I, and I came up to you and you were waiting for someone, t- I think, to pick you up in the parking and I just came and I saw you in the periphery of my eyes, it's like that's nabs. So I just went very hesitantly, I'm like, Hey, you probably don't remember me. My name is Abdullah Maali. When I was a teenager I interviewed you once for my blog and obviously you wouldn't remember that um, but to me that was quite a big event it was quite a big thing that I was able to talk to this guy who was all over the news and I was just a teen right yeah with my little blog that just very few people care about so it's crazy to me that now here we are Yeah. <laughs> in Oman FM in the visual studio with proper microphones <laughs> because I used to use um, an mp3 player that had a recording feature as a bonus yeah so the quality was bad and here you are. Now we're we're having well, an actual interview, an official
1: one. We've we've both gone to our genesis. My genesis was five year old walking home from school. Yours was it's meeting you. <laughs> yours was in, yours was interviewing people with your MP three,
0: right? Never have I imagined that would have been a career path. And exactly. Even but- even like the concept of podcasting and publishing audio only wasn't an idea back then. But that was the only resource I had. I yeah. didn't have a camera. Well, I did, but it was too cumbersome. And so, this tiny little USB uh, player with a recorder was so ideal. Uh, but maybe one day, I don't know, it will trigger a memory. I hope, like, because <laughs> I feel like it, it happened so long ago that I want somebody to verify it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or find it. Or find, or it. find it. Yeah, find your blog. Actually, interview. I hope no one ever finds my blog. I was an idiot. I was a teenager. Uh, oh, I was yeah, an, a teenager yeah, yeah. with big confidence. You know, yeah. it's a bad combination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when was it that you went to the magnetic north pole because i think when most people think of um, at least for me when i think of you the, the achievement that comes to mind the the, uh, the biggest one yeah at least the one that got the most press yeah, was yeah. you being the first arab guy walking on the magnetic north pole yeah, yeah. can you tell me how that even came to mind
1: yeah so th- yeah, that happened uh 2009 mm. And, yeah, it, it got a lot of press mm-hmm. um, in Oman. Uh, well, everywhere. It got a lot more press than when I rode across the Atlantic. But the the one of the problems when I rode across the Atlantic was um, when, when I set off from Africa to row across the Atlantic, mm. as, as I started to go across the Atlantic, uh, the Arab Spring happened, the tsunami in Japan happened, and... Uh, all these major major events happened when we were rowing, so there was absolutely no, uh, as as I, I as far as I know, there was no pr- coverage in Oman, hmm. in the newspapers of me rowing across the Atlantic. In fact, the only coverage or oh, newspaper coverage I saw was in the Daily Mail in the UK. I never I saw see. any in Oman. <laughs> and why do
0: you think that the magnetic north pole got most of the attention?
1: Well, it it, it was just the way things worked out, right? It wasn't. It was. Uh, uh but also when when i when i was going across the uh when i was walking to the north pole i had daily communication with High fm mm
0: mm-hmm. are oh, you allowed to say that <laughs> okay cuz uh, 95.9 in case you don't know <laughs> go ahead
1: <laughs> okay. so they 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 kind of sponsored me right so mm-hmm. every day um i w- i was also sponsored by um narus which is now Redo. yeah and so I had a satellite phone. So every day I was doing a radio interview with with uh, a, a guy called Darren. Darren Short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Darren. Yeah. How is he? Uh, he's good. <laughs> he's in England now. Yeah. Um, we became such good friends um, mm. from that from that experience. Mm. And um, but now he, he's he's left Oman. He's in England. He's I think he's he's got his own studio in in north of England. How's he doing? I know this is not relevant To our conversation But I want to know (laughs) How is it? (laughs) In fact I was in England Last week And I was trying to call him But I I didn't actually get hold of him, okay, yeah, but so, yeah, as far as I know you last time I spoke to him he was doing well, yeah
0: that's amazing. I really need to find a way to catch up with him, yeah because we had a couple of um you know we met a few times we have a couple of stories so yeah. I'd love to catch up the, so uh, uh, let's start from the beginning how does an idea of going to this crazy place where very few people went to how does that come to mind
1: yeah, so uh, how did it happen um so I guess the, 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 the shorter story or the middle sort of length story is that I was in Bahrain mm. and I was at lunch and um, there was a guy, a Bahraini guy, mm-hmm. that I knew who was in the uh, cross-country running uh, club mm-hmm. and he was trying to climb up Everest. And he was, uh, we were just chatting, he was saying, oh, you know, blah, 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 about Everest. And I said, oh, that's so cool. I'd love to climb Everest one day. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it. And he said, okay, why don't you come? And I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) Uh, a bit busy now. Um, uh, But then for two weeks Mm. in my head, in the back of my head, I was thinking, why not? He asked me, why not? If I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? I'm never going to do it unless I take the opportunity now how can I arrange it how can I and I started talking to people about these things and I I was talking to an army friend of mine Mm. and um, he said ah yeah you could go go to Everest but you know uh, 4,000 people have climbed Everest right Mm. I think well it's obviously a lot more now but uh, at the time it was 4,000 people and he said you know 4,000 people have climbed Everest it's quite a a few people it's a lot of people and it's not unique and on top of that, you won't be the first Arab. But if you go to the North Pole, how many people have ever walked to the North Pole? A lot less, because it's a lot harder. Climbing Everest is now, I mean.
0: A tourist destination.
1: It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's well, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a tourist destination, but it mm. is a, um, I mean, you can actually just go to these guide companies, pay them 40, 50,000. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's a, it, there are people who
0: specialize in in getting adventurers out there. Yeah, that's their resources. Yeah, yeah, but adventure
1: tourism. Right, man, it, it, but this is extreme adventure tourism. I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, you you you're just not like buying a ticket on a cruise ship. But mm-hmm. there are people on Everest operators who will just take forty thousand, fifty thousand off you. O- what currency? A dollars. Okay. And then they will uh, they'll take you there and then let you fail or not because there's so many people What do you mean let you fail or not like die? Well, they'll let you they'll <laughs> let you they'll let you try. Most people see it's funny uh the, the the this is odd because Kilimanjaro is the mountain with the highest failure rate. Okay. Because Kilimanjaro is not a steep mountain, it's a mountain that you don't actually have to climb, it's a walking mountain. So lots of people go to see Kilimanjaro and then they say, hey, would you like to climb it? Or would you like to walk up it? And everyone goes, yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: And they do about one, two days and they go, you know what, as you get higher and higher, the air gets thinner and thinner, Hmm. it becomes harder and harder. And at that point, people go, you know what, I can't be bothered. And they all turn around, right? So there's more people who try and fail and fail on Kilimanjaro than any other mountain because when you go to Everest yeah. it's with the sole intention of climbing to the top when you go to lots of people go to Kilimanjaro just for A sightseeing hike and then they go hiking and then mm. they go yeah this is too much right so less preparation than I assume Less preparation, less equipment, less uh, mental yeah. uh, or less physical. Uh, most people that try Everest, they actually make a lot of effort to get prepared, right? Yeah. But um, so, this military friend of
0: yours mentions the magnetic North Pole and how few people went there. Yeah. And what did your eyes do? he go like,
1: no, no. Actually, what he said was, um, so he was talk- he was saying, look, four thousand have done Everest. Let's say four hundred have done walk to a pole Mm. so it's far more unique to say you walk to a pole than say you climbed Everest that's number one Mm -hmm. number two is loads of Arabs have already climbed Everest Mm -hmm. Uh, Egyptians Kuwaiti Saudi at the time uh, uh, Lebanese Jordanian loads of people have climbed it and women men and women Mm -hmm. Uh, but no Omani at the time and uh, but when you look at North Pole Mm -hmm. no Arab had walked to a pole so and he said that this is the this is where, where it switched me from Everest to pole because I was not interested in walking to a pole because Everest is is to the general public, Everest is the number one yeah. achievement, it's right? The epi- uh, epitome
0: of um, extreme adventure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. of course, if you actually talk to anyone who's who knows anything about expeditions, mm. they will not class Everest anywhere in their top. You know, in their top. But for the uninitiated, for the general public, climbing Everest is the biggest thing you can do. Yeah. So. So then, what happened then? So he he put this so idea then, in your head, right? So then. Yeah. What he said to me was, and this is the, the thing that changed my mind. If let's say you're the uh fastest hundred meter runner, have mm-hmm. you Bolt? sure if you're Usain Bolt and you have the hundred meter record you're the fastest right you have the record but in five years time someone's gonna beat that record ten years time Uh, obviously more yeah Yeah. if you have a record Mm -hmm. somebody will always beat it and your record will be lost but but if you're a first (laughs) then that can never be taken away from you exactly he said that to me and I went oh that is actually what I want to do. If I'm going to do something this difficult, mm. I want to be first, so my record will never never be broken, right? Yeah. So I said, you know what? Forget Everest. I'm going to walk to the Magnetic North Pole. I'll be the first Arab to walk to the Magnetic North Pole. I'll do that, and that'll be my, uh, you know that'll be my uh that'll be my so you got you go home your adventure. S- your spirit is lit and you feel like you want to do this
0: what's the first step google was around back then i assume yeah. you go like,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah we had electricity back then <laughs> uh, um yeah it was a bit difficult actually now i think about it because i remember googling and uh, lots of things but um the, the, the one thing that you you realize when you're doing something anything like this is mm-hmm. that you're not entirely inventing the wheel there right. are lots of people who've done similar things in the past and all you're doing is building on what they've done right so so remember that story i was telling when i was walking across as a five-year-old as i'm walking across the streets mm-hmm. i'm not trying to figure out when i'm trying to all i did was look at the adults if the adults are crossing the street i'm crossing the street that's Mm. when i know the red lights are red and and the, the green man is the man is green for walking right i'm not inventing anything i'm just following on the footsteps of other people right and going to the north pole i may be the first arab but there's been 400 people that have done it before from all the way from uh you know shackleton and all these guys who'd done it 100 years ago so the there's lots of things to find out. I just had to f- find out where that information was, right?
0: So, so did you find that information and how?
1: Yeah, but, I mean, there's, lo- there's, there's lots of um, resources out there. And, uh, you know, there's, for example, there's research stations down in the South Pole. There's uh, lots of, you know, in Canada and Russia, there's lots of people that live up in the Arctic Circle, the Eskimos. There's lots of things and people you can learn from.
0: Right, I'm just curious, like, you were in Oman when you were told this idea, or were you in the no, UK? No, I was in Bahrain In Bahrain mm. And so, while being in Bahrain and being excited about this idea, what, yes, there are 400 people before you that did it did you, did you, were you able to reach any of them? How are you able to find information to know how to even get there, you know? Uh. yeah um, it's, it's, it's long ago So maybe yeah. you gotta Think about it a little bit But I'm so curious How does someone go About something That n- no one has ever Tried before And uh, specifically In your case
1: Yeah But like I said There's people That have done it before I wasn't I mean in, in the Arab world Yeah say. And all I was doing Was I was going to the UK And mm. doing uh, uh, taking courses and getting training from people that had done this sort of stuff before i see yeah. so you got some
0: training on yeah, that yeah what, is tra- what does training look like but the
1: like? train the main the main training was uh, fitness okay living in the c- like camping and fitness you can do anywhere right mhm but the learning how to live with the cold that was something that i had to when i went to canada before like the week before we went on the expedition that's where mm-hmm. we were learning how to live in the in the arctic how how do you do that you just get in an ice bath. Like, what, how does it work? No, you just live outdoors in the
0: Arctic, uh, and then your body just acclimates over time.
1: One of the things is acc- uh, acclimatization. So mm. it's very, you know, when you when you go from when you, when well, I would say when you move from England to the Middle East, yeah, you know, you're going from <laughs> ten degrees to fifty degrees, right? Right. So there's a a long time where. You know, when you've moved from the from Europe to England uh, to the Middle East, mm-hmm. you just can't stand the heat. You're not able to cope. But after a few years of living in Oman, you go to like I was in England uh, a week ago during mm-hmm. Eid, and um, <laughs> I was I was wearing, you know, jumpers and jackets, and and everyone in England was wearing t-shirts. So right? You got
0: acclimated to this weather. Here. I'm now acclimated
1: yeah. to. Uh, Omani desert weather, right? So gonna right. go back to England, and it's for English people, it's hot. For me, it's pretty cold, right? Mm. So there's 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 a period of acclimation. It doesn't matter where you are, and it's all relative. So. Uh, imagine it's what's the temperature now? 40 degrees in Oman.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And it'll if I went now to the North Pole, it would be minus 40, right? Ugh. So that's 80 degree temperature difference, right? Celsius. Yeah.
0: Oh man, that's insane. Uh, but are we capable of acclimating to any weather? Because I was in India. I just came back uh, this week. For two weeks, it's so humid. It's so warm, and air conditioning was not in every spot like it is here in Oman,
1: and I did not acclimate. Yeah. The whole time. You, you can acclimatize to anything, right? Because mm. otherwise, why would Eskimos live in the North Pole That's and why true. would Arabs live in the desert? You can. They don't think maybe genetics has a role with that? Possibly, but mm. eventually. So, eventually, when let's say when I was at the North Pole, I got used to the weather there mm. after five, six weeks out in the Arctic Circle. And then, of course, coming back to uh, the Middle East. As soon as I came back, I was living in Bahrain at the time, as soon as I came back to Bahrain, mm. I was under the air conditioning the whole time because I was boiling. Right. You know, so going from, you know, minus uh, 40, even with the air conditioning at, at 20, I was constantly running hot.
0: Yeah. And so you come back, you achieve this massive feat for not just you and not just for Oman, but also for the Arab world, which is amazing. And you got all this press, which is well-deserved. Once the press settles and the dust settles, what did life look like after
1: that? Gosh. um, Well, it didn't really settle for long enough, because I then decided that I was going to go and, um, I think almost immediately, I I went to, um, yeah, I'd say almost immediately, I was off into the UK. There was a friend of mine who, um, he was in a wheelchair, and he wanted to... Push his wheelchair from the bottom of England to the top of Scotland, which is nine hundred is one thousand four hundred kilometers. When you say push his wheelchair, what? How, what, what? He was going it? to like I roll can... his wheelchair. Oh yeah? wow! So he was going to roll his wheelchair by himself, like pushing himself. Yeah. Like basically, it was the same distance as Musket to Salala. That's insane. And he wanted to do that, and he wanted, not only wanted to do that, but he wanted to break the world record. The world record was seventeen days. So we were talking about it and I said, well, you know, if you want to beat the world record, you know, you need to do this and you need to do this and cut time here and do this. And and so we figured out a plan. Hmm. So then I went to England and we said, right, let's do it. And we 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 uh, went from the bottom of England to the top of Scotland. He was pushing his, I was on a, I had a, a van and...
0: I see, support. Uh,
1: support. And yeah. we got a team of uh, like, in the end, it was a team of, I think, about eight of us. Hmm. Um, but that team of eight may cut down on so many things. So, for example, in the morning, we would wake him up. Mm. We would give him food. We would take him to the truck, to the minibus. We would do everything, check out the hotel. We would do everything. All he had to do was wake up, (laughs) eat his breakfast. We'd put him in the truck. We'd take him to the last spot. We'd put him in the wheelchair. And, like, within half an hour of waking up, he would have been fed, watered, and in the right spot, and he would be rolling, right? And then, as soon as at the end of the day, let's say well, after twelve hours, when he was exhausted, didn't want to do any more, mm. we would pick him up, put him in the truck, and one car had already gone to the hotel, checked him in, run the bath, you know. So he, we would take him to the hotel. His food would be ready. We put him in the bath. Wow. And he put him in bed it's like Formula One. It's like exactly, <laughs> Formula One. So he never did. Any, I mean, I would say he didn't do anything. He did the hardest thing. He yeah. pushed his wheelchair. But uh, all the other stuff that wasn't related to him pushing his wheelchair mm. was done for him by us. And, and, and um, did you succeed? Did he beat the record? Oh, we didn't just beat the record. I mean, normally when you beat a record, you beat it by like five L- percent, right? You, mm. So we were, uh, you know, seventeen days was the the target. So Uh if we'd beaten it by sixteen days and a half, we would have been successful. Yeah. Yeah. So we did it in eight and a half. Eight and a half days. Yeah. Whoa, that's almost half. Almost half, and we not only that, people on bicycles are doing it in like nine days. He did it in eight and a half in a wheelchair. How strong is this guy? (laughs) that's insane Uh, it was pretty insane actually so we did I did that and then after that I went to uh, Kilimanjaro climbed Kilimanjaro
0: and what year was that Uh, still 2009 it was a crazy year it seems 2009
1: yeah it was pretty because after I did the North Pole everyone says what are you going to do next what are you doing next and uh, one you of feel the thi- pr-
0: do you feel pressure from that people asking you what are you going to do no, next
1: I said I w- at the time I was like you want to do something you go do it stop <laughs> <laughs> like, I've done my bit you go do something but the thing that really bugged me was people kept on saying uh, in Oman hmm. I say oh you know I walked to the North Pole and they say oh have you climbed Kilimanjaro I'm like guys you don't say to somebody who's just run a marathon Hey, you ran a marathon. Have you ever done a five-kilometer fun run? Right. Like, what are like? Where's your concept of proportionality? Right. No, I haven't. Like, no, I haven't. But you know, hundreds of like oh, about hundred people a day get to the top of Kilimanjaro, right? Oh wow! It's the most climbed seven peak, right? Yeah. yeah. Because it's so easy. Right. So, oh, look, I'm the first Arab to ever walk to the magnetic north pole. Mm. Oh, have you ever done something easy? Like what? <laughs> no, I haven't. But but then you did. So then I said, "You know what? I'm just <laughs> going to shut everyone up." <laughs> I only did it to shut people up so they I so that then the, so they can stop asking you that question. So when they ask me I go yes I've done it. Move on, right? That's Next question. So let's go. Cuz otherwise it's embarrassing cuz they say, "Oh, have you ever done Kilimanjaro?" No, but it's not the same. Mm. So now I just go, "Yes, I have. It's not the same." Move on. Before we continue down your other
0: adventures, during this time what were you working as?
1: Uh, so I had been working in Bahrain in um, in a private jet company. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I don't know if you remember, in 2008, there was the uh, financial mm-hmm. crash. Mm-hmm. Very and, much so, you know, yeah. And one of the uh, industries that was very much affected was private jets, especially mm-hmm. private jets, because people were saying, you know... Um, so much money was being wasted on private jets when you know they, uh, they had those hearings in the US Congress about CEOs who were fly- who were using private jets to fly to Washington DC to have their meetings and they were criticizing them. Okay. So uh, at that particular time the uh, the private jet market became very depressed mm. and I was speaking to my boss and we just said you know nothing is going to happen in the next so I'm going to Take a sabbatical right mm. take a few months off do all this stuff then come back when the market's picked up and um but things just kept on rolling with me and i just never went back
0: um you'd had two adventures one which is a first and the other is to shut some people up <laughs> um well, well, also
1: the world record with the wheelchair
0: with the wheelchair, yeah. exactly, absolutely. Yeah. So what a year that well, was. Yeah, I mean,
1: no, it's not, obviously not my world record, but I was involved in it. You were part that. of it, yeah.
0: absolutely. But then what's 2010, 11, and 12? Like, you have to... 2009 was insane.
1: Yeah, 2010, I I mean, I started off by cl- going to Antarctica and uh, 2010. So in Antarctica, I spent my 40th uh, birthday in the South Pole
0: wow that's nice
1: climbing the highest mountain in the world Uh, sorry not the the world climbing the highest mountain in Antarctica so Mm. um, I was the first Arab to climb uh, uh, Mount Vincent in the in Antarctica okay Uh, and then sorry second 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 Arab to climb Mm. Mount Vincent and um, yeah and then um uh, and then i went to try and climb everest um in sort of april 2010 same time as khalid siabi okay and we were we were on but we were on everest base camp south side hmm. in uh, nepal and we never ever met we never met beforehand funnily enough
0: and you met there
1: no we never met there even
0: even, oh, even okay.
1: there i mean it's it sounds a bit weird. There was only 400 people at Everest Base Camp, but <clears throat> each, each operator, each mountain climbing operator, tries to keep um, their groups slightly separate. So our, our group mm-hmm. was on the other side of this glacier where all the water was being taken. And our leader was very... It's, it sounds a bit weird, but there's a lot of infection up at... People get very sick up there. Like
0: high altitudes in general, or in that specific place?
1: Um, I'd say in, let's say in general, because your, the oxygen levels are so low, your immune system is uh, much lower than normal, Mm. and there's a lot of uh, uh, cow dung in the air you know these yaks are just pooping along the trail it dries up it's kicked up as dust and it gets mm. in your eyes you breathe it in Oof. and uh, lots of people get sick um <clears throat> one way or another so our camp which was about 40 people we were not allowed to leave and we were not allowed to have guests mm. and if you wanted to meet somebody you had to go out the camp and meet them i mean this is pre-covid <laughs> this That's is crazy. like covid uh, yeah. covid rules and um yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, well, no, I never met him, but unfortunately I had an accident on Everest, and then I found out, I think two days after I would have summited, mm. uh, Khalid Siabi summited Everest. And you guys ever meet after that? Yeah, yeah, we met afterwards. I mean, <laughs> we met in Oman. Um, and, and the thing about Khalid was he was a real climber. He was, like, I'm just an adventurer, and I was just doing things for... But Khalid was a mountaineer. He went and climbed. That was his... Hobby, his passion, he went and climbed mountains.
0: Mm, Like with ropes and all that.
1: Yeah, he was doing mountains long before Everest, you know, and he Mm -hmm. was doing mountains afterwards. He was, uh, and he was climbing mountains, not for records. He was climbing mountains because he wanted to climb mountains. So he climbed uh, a lot of the 8,000, there's, I can't remember how, there's 14 mountains above 8,000 meters and they're all in the Himalayas Mm. and he was climbing them and he'd done some of them Before Everest So when When he did Everest Everest was probably the, One of the easiest mountains That Khaled did Wow Unfortunately He died uh, A couple of years ago Allah irhamah uh, but he was uh, a really nice guy. We met a few times, and also our paths crossed because he was the first Armani to climb Everest. I was mm. the first Arab to so we were some events. Like, we were there together. Hey, first, yeah. And uh, <laughs> You have like
0: a first Armani group yeah, somewhere. Exactly, is there a first Armani group? I have no idea. <laughs> we should create one for all the firsts. First Armani, who does visual radio. In the It'll station. Sure I'm either. talking to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to look there. I want to look at you guys. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> look at the camera. Yeah, I don't want to look at the camera. I'm looking there. Why not? Um, so uh, we'll go to the, this other achievement, which, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, This is is this a harder achievement? It's when you, you rode for 4,600 kilometers yeah, yeah. Uh, across the Atlantic. Yeah. When was that? What year was that? Uh, that was 2011. 2011. Yeah. And how is that uh, compared to your previous adventure? Oh, that's
1: far, far more difficult than anything that uh, mm. I've ever done. See, uh, the the difficult. So, how how to describe the difficulty? There's two ways of explaining it. So, mm-hmm. when you do these adventure, exped, adventurous holiday expedition stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There, some of the guiding companies will give you a scale of uh, like technical difficulty let me do it for the camera so uh you know technical difficulty and physical difficulty and they'll say technical difficulty is uh like a b c d e and physical difficulty one two three four five what's technical difficulty so like kilimanjaro you're just walking Mm. there's nothing technical about it right okay but if you're going to somewhere like um k2 which is the second highest mountain in the world, but it is extremely technical. So you can't just be an amateur and go there. You have to be a very experienced climber because you have to know everything about climbing, right?
0: With, with the pulleys and the ropes and all yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly right. Okay.
1: So when I say that, um, uh, uh, so rowing the Atlantic. So let's say Everest was a four out of five technically no no i'm talking about physical difficulty ah, physical okay so physical difficulty uh, everest was a four right okay. uh north pole was a five star what's the so it, they went to the scale and then at five then they put a star and then you go look at the the footnotes and it goes this is you know it's not a five this yeah. is far beyond a five this is you yeah. know limits of human endurance right
0: okay what's what's this one
1: so this was like a six star and it was it was it was completely off the scale and another so there's another way i mean i it would be a five star on on this on this particular scale but right for me it's far harder than the north pole um and there's two ways i can explain that so when uh, reinhold mesner who's the first guy to climb everest without oxygen hmm. so everyone normally they have a cylinder and they walk up Everest with the oxygen because the air is too thin Hmm. first guy to do it without oxygen he tried to walk to the North Pole he gave up after one week yeah when you're doing Everest you have one day of supreme and absolute limit of human uh, of human endeavour capacity to try and climb up the mountain and you have a day of maybe you'll have a day of um, you know, some. some, if you're really, really slow maybe it'll be 18 hours but most people will be up and down in let's say 12 hours or Hmm. 14 hours okay, but that's your that's one day and you're pushed to the absolute limit of your endurance you've got that one day Mm -hmm. summit day Mm -hmm. every other day it's tough but it's not you know, you'll be doing let's say four hours a day climb and then you stop four hours climb and stop then summit day you're doing let's say 14 hours extreme human endurance and down and then stop right okay okay that's one day yeah so ryan Mesner does tries to do uh, north pole he gives up after a week because that's seven days of absolute torture push, pushing itself to the limit but mm. In terms of mathematics, when I was doing the North Pole, we were doing, let's say, 10 hours of walking a day. On Everest, you do, so let's say, four hours of climbing. On average, let's say, four hours of climbing, and then you sort of rest. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: North Pole, you wake up, you walk 10 hours, and you stop. You're like, would you rather do four hours or 10 hours? Four. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, right? On the rowing, you're doing 12 hours a day. Every day for 43 days and every day you do the your every day every day yeah what what are you gonna do you're not gonna get out the boat where are you gonna get out there's nothing to get out of the boat you're on the boat there's no support boat there's nowhere to get out if you want to quit the only way you can quit is to get to the other side or commit suicide (laughs) right so what are you gonna do yeah 12 hours a day 43 days non-stop and also you are not doing 12 hours you're doing two hours hmm you're doing two hours rowing and then you have two hours rest. Then you two hours rowing, two hours rest, two hours mm. on, two hours off. And you're swapping with the, the other shifts. So you're mm. doing two hours there, resting.
0: OK, that sounds a little more reasonable to me. Two hours on, two hours yeah. off. But
1: the worst thing about, <laughs> I say, the worst thing for any of these expeditions is waking up because you wake up. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm in, I'm in, you know, I'm on Everest. I'm at the North Pole. But that's the worst part when you wake up and you realize What did I get myself into? And you're you're like, (laughs) what am I doing? What have I got myself into? So that's the worst part of the day. Now, on top of having to row for 12 hours a day, Hmm. you have to wake up six times a day. And wake up and go, oh, God, what have I got myself into What does that mean? Why do you have to wake up six times? Because you're rowing two because of hours. of the rest. You're rowing two hours. Yeah. You're resting two hours. What are you doing in that rest? You're sleeping. You're, you're so, you're not sleeping. You're collapsed. You're <laughs> comatose. You're comatose for two hours. That then is you, so fair. You wake up and you're like, uh, somebody's waking you up. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm on a <laughs> boat in the Atlantic. What am I doing? I got forty three days to go, and I'm waking up six times a day. You have the so it's not just you're waking up. The worst part of the day is waking up. You're waking up six times a day, and it's six times of the day is the worst part of your day.
0: Yeah, I'm starting to um, I'm starting to get this uh, inclination that you're a madman. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone would subject themselves to such a thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I don't even want to do that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: so this, this? this goes down to motivation. So people, you know, like uh, I'll get asked to go and talk to companies about motivation Yeah. and I'm not going to give you all the secrets but one of the things you can say to people is if I gave you a million pounds mm-hmm. or dina, uh, Real. reals, if yeah. I gave you a million, so I said, I'll give you a million reals to row across the Atlantic. I guarantee, I guarantee you will give up after... You know, I'll, I'll be generous. I guarantee you'll give up after a week. You don't know how much I need that one million, though. doesn't matter how much you need that one million. have big plans. doesn't matter how much you need that one million. <laughs> you will realize
0: uh-huh.
1: after, and I said a week, but hmm. for most people, it'll be like one or two days. You will realize in your head, you'll say, this is not worth a million.
0: Okay, great. If a million wouldn't do it, then what would
1: that's it you right. see this is where you talk about this what I'm talking about motivation at some stage in this in this expedition you realize that money mm. is not a motivator because there's no money in the world that is enough to make you row across an Atlantic
0: so then what is it well, what would make you do that
1: motivation but
0: motivation with what because money could be motivation if it's not that then where is that motivation coming from Mm
1: -hmm. exactly
0: exactly and that's why
1: people pay me to go and explain these things to
0: and you're not gonna you're not gonna (laughs) give me even like a little hint
1: I gave you a hint I'm not gonna give you any more why not because you're not paying me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah, okay, fine. The, this is this is this is where your motivation comes in. Do you wanna know?
0: Absolutely I wanna know. What do uh-huh. I need to do?
1: Give Which mountain a, do g- I need to g- climb? Give me a million, I'll tell you. Okay,
0: I'll tell you what. <laughs> Raoya in the background she's gonna transfer a million to your account. Right, Raoya? Yeah, is she there? She'll 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 transfer. Oh wow. She'll transfer. I didn't know she was a millionaire. Oh yeah, we hire only millionaires. Okay, well, this is because there isn't money in radio. So. <laughs> 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 it, but I'm trying to rack my head around this. It's like um I, I'm guessing, um, this is my assumption, since you won't be helping me out with this, so I'll, I'll try to guess some things, and you can tell me if I'm off or not, right? Um,
1: okay, then before, you, before yeah. you guess, so yeah. have a think about some of the uh, things that humans have done, mm-hmm. the most impressive physical feats that humans have done, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about, let's say, um, uh, like, let's say... I don't know how, you know, these guys that escaped from Siberia, from the gulags in Siberia, and walked all the way, or the guys who survived the concentration camps, or Mm. people that have, like, walked across the Sahara, like, you know, they were stranded in the Sahara and managed to walk their way out, or things like that, and um, you also... When you when you hear their stories about how many people just gave up along the way and died, hmm. and why did these guys survive and why did those guys or all, all their companions give up and die?
0: They die because they gave up, or do they die because of them trying and and not so, like just dying?
1: Well, some people obviously just die. Yeah, they you know, get eaten by tigers or whatever. But right. some
0: will. Uh, you see, I'm trying to extrapolate hints so that I can con- make my own <laughs> conclusion. That's why I'm asking all these questions. Because I would say the instincts for survival is a big motivator to keep going. Really? I mean, I, th- I would assume really? wanting to live, having a reason to live. Ah. Ooh. Uh-huh. We're getting warmer.
1: You're getting very warm, yeah. Because <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Uh, you said the, the instinct to survive. Mm-hmm is very strong, right? Yeah. So if suddenly a tiger came in here, we would both jump up Mm -hmm. and we'd be running trying to survive or trying to, you know, get away from the tiger, right? Mm -hmm. So the instinct to survive is, so why would all these other people just give up and die?
0: Right. So there needs to be something that's... Yeah. That is more than than just wanting to live for the sake of living. Yeah. Then...
1: And it's not money.
0: Yeah. Right. I, so, I'm assuming this is going to be very personal from person to person. It won't be the yep. same for you as it is for yep. me. Yeah. Um, maybe. Um Overcoming a, a, a trauma from your life and trying to prove something to yourself could be a motivator. See? M- maybe proving a point to I don't know. I don't know if that's a strong enough reason, but it could it be could a reason be. proving a point to Listen, people there, there are
1: you. there are you just said it. There's mm. it's personal. Yeah. One it's personal. Two, it's not monetary. Mm-hmm. Three, it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be so I had a friend who was in the Navy SEALs and he was saying when he was going through BUDS training and Hell Week and everything, he had in his head, he he had all these little mental games, right? One of them is, I don't know if you know what SEAL training is, like special forces yeah, training. A right? little bit, yeah. So they start off, let's say, with 200 uh, applicants. And, you know, <clears throat> you know, but the, by the end of the course, after the six month course, there'll only be about... Uh, uh 20 guys left right Mm -hmm. so in his head every time somebody quit he would think good Mm -hmm. that's one less for the 200 and i'm more i'm closer to the 20 everyone that quits i'm closer to being in the 20 you know that's what he was thinking. it doesn't mean it's true but it's in his head that's how he was thinking of it that's one thing another thing was um he was thinking, uh, so carrots and sticks, one of the things he was thinking was things he would think, I want to do this because I want to be Mm. a Navy SEAL. Or he would say, stick, he'd say, I don't want to quit because then my friends say you're a quitter. Yeah. So you have these two sort of... um, mental games that you're playing in your head things that you want to do and things that you want to avoid doing so you have the carrots I want to be I want to do this I want to complete it I want to finish it I want to because 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 and I don't want to quit I don't want to give up I don't want to stop because yeah so
0: uh, I, uh, maybe I'm gonna I could use my experience and try to impose that on the idea of going on a big adventure and not quitting and uh, see if I'm getting even warmer for me this station right now, where we're working is is our Mount Everest. You know, we're, there's a lot to be done, a lot to be changed. It's, and it's extremely challenging. And for me personally, I'm, I've always been much more of an introvert, but the position that I'm in requires that I'm constantly in communication with people all the time. This is my Everest. So money is definitely not a factor in this because it's radio. So then where is the motivation to get up every morning and to work endless hours to try to get things co- done? Where does that come from? And it's, it's personal, but I think it comes from a sense of purpose and meaning. And that is, that is the only way, I mean, you can try achievement. things- achievement. You said yeah. purpose, meaning, and achievement, right? Right. Yeah? yeah, and the thing is, you could do a lot of things that are really cool out of curiosity. But then you'll give up once the curiosity is gone. But if you're driven by a sense of purpose and meaning, that will be extremely personal to every single yeah. person. I, I assume that's the same space I'll need to enter to climb actual yeah, Mount Everest. It's, it's
1: the same. So one of the things I talk about is like... Um, in fact, I did it in, o- in Oman at this... Um, I think it was the Better Business Awards or whatever. But I was just talking about how, you know, in 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 the old days... Hmm they used to venerate um, heroes, like military heroes, like Achilles and Paris and all these guys that were soldiers and fighters. And he's the hero. And then in the uh, 18th century, it was explorers like... um, Oh, no, maybe not 80s, but, but Magellan and all these guys that sailed around the world. These explorers were the ones that were the heroes of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the 19th, 20th century was all the adventurers like Edmund Hillary and Scott and Amundsen and stuff like that. And now you look at the uh, uh, the sort of heroes of today. It's the the, the massive businessmen like Musk, Elon Musk and mm-hmm. uh, Richard Branson. But the one common theme that runs through all of these guys is the sense of purpose purpose and achievement right Mm. Uh, very different achievements and very different purposes but Mm. that's you know that category they had high levels of you said you said purpose meaning and meaning and Mm. I'm saying adding on achievement because at some you know the purpose is to achieve certain goals but then when you achieve that goal you know there's another mountain to climb there's another uh, Mm. achievement so and as long as you have these sort of milestones you will be constantly driven because you'll achieve the one you don't just give up you then move on to the you know you make your million you make your billion you make your billion you make your trillion right sure so you so there's also that achievement but You almost hit the, uh, what Uh, you said
0: hits the nail on the head, right? But I wonder if you can get a sense of meaning and purpose from achieving things that are solely just for you. Because it's my experience that you can have a lot of passion for what you love to do, but at least for me, and I'll only speak for myself, for that passion to turn from the idea of just passion to the idea of meaning and purpose it has that passion has to translate into what can this be done for others you know and maybe that will be different from everyone but for me the only way I can gain purpose and meaning in anything that I do is how is this thing that I absolutely love how does this impact the world right how does it impact the world positively and and I derive purpose and meaning from that and then all the ups and downs and the daily hustle and and the emotional breakdowns and all the fights it's all worth it because yeah. we're actually doing something not just for us but for other people.
1: Yeah, but you see we, okay so we were I'm we were we were discussing uh adventurers, heroes and you know explorers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But Lots of people just do stuff for themselves. It doesn't yeah. you don't have to be doing it for world records. You don't have to be doing it for human advancement. You could just be your sense of purpose could be uh, 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 collecting model soldiers, right? It doesn't have to have a, a, a you know a, a, a humanitarian benefit. It it could be just a personal goal, you know
0: you think that's possible say i have a hobby for example um that i absolutely love and i spent hours on it could could someone derive purpose and meaning
1: from just doing that individually yeah of course yeah yeah but look there you you end up most of these guys let's say stamp collectors Mm -hmm. okay so they're collecting stamps and uh they in their little tiny world Mm. I mean, I'd say it's a tiny world now, but like, let's say 50 years ago, it was a big world. But let's say in their little tiny world, they derive their own personal mm-hmm. uh, satisfaction from that, yeah. right? And it is a very niche area. Right. And it, I would say it's almost becoming... I don't know not obsolete, but it's becoming you know nobody uses stamps right because everyone uses emails so i'm not i don't want to uh I don't want to dismiss these guys, mm. but then at some stage of course you know we'll suddenly need an a stamp expert right
0: right yeah. uh, honestly, I think and that's their time to shine right I think their stamps are worth a lot more today than it was back then so I, I'm pretty sure they're happy
1: I have no idea I mean stamps obviously were very uh uh you know in the 70s 80s was really big um mm. And very, but the value of stamps is dependent on the demand. And in those days when there's lots of stamps collectors, Mm. there'll be a lot of demand. But I don't know. Anyway.
0: Well, so there's scarcity, right? Scarcity? That's, yeah, that's that's that creates the yeah. artificial demand. demand if you will Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're well, right. I think we're varying out of our topic. But yeah, yeah, again, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. This is how the show is usually. Philosophy: How to exist in the world is something that I'm absolutely fascinated by. And for someone to be living a life like yours, which in my mind is in the fringes, you know, going on extreme adventures. Mm. Uh, That's the kind of psychology that I'm very curious to understand. So for you, how did you derive purpose and meaning in this?
1: Well, I guess the the number one was just to be the the first Arab, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what what does that mean to you? Um... I guess uh, it, it meant something you should have asked me that ten years ago. <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll have to find this uh, blog that you did yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of this so ah okay, so here's a couple of things. Hmm. Uh, so I had four reasons. when I w- walked to the North Pole, I wrote down four reasons I'm doing this. One was to be the first Arab, right? Mm-hmm. Second was to uh, raise money for charity, all right? Third was to uh, uh, like give a uh, uh, inspire the youth of the Middle East right yeah um, and it's funny because the other day somebody climbed a uh, Nomani climbed Everest right I think so yeah yeah and I kind of felt like okay so, Mm. Before I started doing all this stuff, nobody was doing it
0: mm-hmm. right So you paved the way you open up a, uh, I'd say this, uh, this mental barrier has been broken yeah because somebody has done it
1: Exactly yeah and of course uh, this person may never even heard of me or they, you know I'm not saying I particularly directly inspired yeah, yeah, them yes but the same for me mm. uh, I never met let's say Captain Scott. Because he tried to walk to the South Pole, because of his stories, Mm. he inspired other people who inspired other people who inspired me. Um, So, yeah, I I sort of inspired, like, and I I know it it happened in Bahrain, for sure, because I went to all these schools, and I went to all these schools in Oman and talked to the kids. So I know that some way or another I have inspired... the other thing is, when I say you know inspire, doesn't mean I'm inspiring them to walk to the North Pole. I'm inspiring them to say, listen, just as we talked about purpose and mo- motivation and desire, hmm. it doesn't have to be the North Pole. It could be anything. A radio station, right? Yeah. It, it it's it's just transferring my my particular experiences onto your hmm. particular
0: outlook. You know, what's interesting about your answer is. Um, um, you mentioned three things um, and two of them is related to helping or, or somehow having impact on other people so it seems like yes you're you're motivated and i don't know your full motivations and you don't have to share all of that here today because some of them may be really personal but aside from being the first, uh, first arab there is a charity aspect of it it's, It involves other human beings. There is the having talks and inspiring youth to achieve their own achievements that involves other human beings. So that's the thing, that's the thread that I constantly find with people who carry this massive sense of purpose and meaning, that it often involves other helping or doing something for other human beings often maybe not always
1: uh i wouldn't say yeah i'd say sometimes uh and the fourth one which Hmm. which uh, will tie into yours was uh, at the time i thought at the time in in 2008
2: 9
1: i said the fourth the reason which was very ambitious i said i wanted to present a like a positive image of muslims and arabs in Mm. the western media because you know in in if you've ever played mad libs Mm -hmm. where you say salt i say salt you say help me out i don't know the game okay if Mm. i say laurel you say floral (laughs) okay (laughs) if i say charlie you say
0: uh tango (laughs) <laughs> okay Help me out uh, what, what, what what am I supposed to say? If I say black, you say White Exactly Oh, you mean just find the opposite? Yeah, or whatever the opposite whatever. of Charlie? Khalfan? No,
1: Charlie Chaplin Oh, okay <laughs> Salt and <laughs> Pepper Exactly okay. So that's what I'm you getting say, it. Right? I'm getting it, I'm getting United. it United um, uh,
0: Manchester.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, this is it. The yeah. Mad Libs is the, the first. See, when I said United, I was expecting you to say Kingdom. Okay. But if I said Manchester, you would say. a Kingdom, not <laughs> United. United, right? So yeah. this is how you play Mad Libs. Okay, so okay. Now if I said. Bear in mind, if mm. you're in the UK mm-hmm. or America, if I said Islamic, you would say.
0: Um, nation.
1: No, if you're an American <laughs>
0: mm. in America yeah. and I said Islamic, you would say? It's really hard for me to guess what they would say or uh, general Americans would say. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to hit a, a note that I'm, you know.
1: It, it, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. if, if you look at the uh, Nexus, if you look at the, uh, like the, you know, you, you check out the newspaper uh, at, at the time. Mm. You know, you can search for word terms. And if you say Islamic, it'll always be Followed by terrorist. Mm. If you looked at media, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So if if you look at so, like I said, salt and pepper. Mm. If uh, you look in the media in the West at that time, it was always Islamic terrorists or Muslim, right? Muslim
0: uh, extremist. Or, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you look on the you you when you look when you search on the media in the blah blah. blah you look at it. And you search one term, it'll always... And Google will just be like, did you mean this? Yeah, exactly. So you know what I mean, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay, I've got to do something where it says, Mm. you know, or Arab, whatever. So this time I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. And it will be like did you mean Arab who walked to the North Pole <laughs> right so that was my most ambitious goal was uh, so that was I said four things one was to present the last one was to try and give a positive image of Arabs or Muslims in the western media right so yeah. instead of the news being whatever some bombing yeah. it would be oh look an Arab walked to the North Pole right yeah,
0: so we're, we're so we're coming to the end of uh, our time here with the show because there will be followed by another show after this um I feel like this is a great opportunity to be speaking to the youth right now. And when I say youth, I don't just mean um, high school or even college. I mean, the youth we're talking to 30, 40 years old who have these ambitions that they Mm want to do something great. It may not be related to mountains or rowing. What can you say to them?
1: I'd say the hardest thing for anyone uh, is to try and figure out what you should be doing with Mm. your life. And uh, the the one clue that you will get is if you are a a 16-year-old running around with an MP3 player trying to record people, Mm. interview people, maybe that's what you should be doing. Whatever you're doing in your spare time for fun, that is probably what you should be doing for your job or or purpose in life. And then you've got to figure out then, work backwards and try and figure out, how am I going to make money out of this? Right? Yeah. So... It may not be what you think, because obviously, you know, everyone's going to say, I want to be a footballer, but uh, not everyone, but, you know, a lot of people say, I want to be a footballer. Okay, fine. But you are not going to be a Premier League footballer. You're not going to be able to make enough money out of football. But there may be something else that you are passionate about or, you know, and you are good at and that you can make money at. So it's kind of a, a difficult one, but it's going to be very individual yeah. for each person and not only individual for that individual person, but also to their personal circumstance.
0: As in where they're from, what their life situations is. Yeah. yeah, like, you even know, depending y- on the country, your skin
1: tone, right. you know. Yeah, it could be all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a really vague answer, but I think the one thing that you mm-hmm. everyone listening, if you are really listening to what I'm saying, think about what you do in your spare time and wonder think how can I use this to be a job or make money out of or make this my purpose or mm-hmm. right?
0: Well, sir. Yes, Mr. <laughs> Nabil Al Busaidi, also known as Nabs. I, I feel like I know you more as Nabs Al Busaidi. I really appreciate you taking the time and coming here and being the first to actually try out, <laughs> out of the visual studio and the English station, mind yeah. you, because the Arabic have been doing this and we just uh, took over for a little bit. So, thank you so much for, for coming here and giving me another opportunity to interview you. Um, I what is it, 12 years later? 10 years later, later. Or, yeah, 12 <laughs> years later. <Yeah. laughs> I really appreciate it. My name is Abdul Al-Ma'wali. Uh, thank you all for... Where is my camera? Is it that one? Is it that one? That's my camera? All right, you know we're new at this. Thank you all for watching and listening, because ain't nobody listening. I'm changing the show to ain't nobody watching. I'll catch you all to the, on the next one. <laughs> Bye. show that. Nobody listening. ain't nobody listening ain't nobody listening, ain't nobody
2: listening.